Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 515. No matter what we think and no matter what we see in the news and no matter what we read about, we, we live in a phenomenal country with phenomenal people. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jump start a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jump start any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253 253- 722 plan or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders or 12 or 16 securities through money concepts capital corp member finra sipic hello automotive enthusiasts i am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest john campion John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely buckled up and ready for a fun ride. Cool. Great to have you here. John Campion's remarkable path to success started on the backstage cruise of Rock and Roll Legends and quickly led to the boardroom of a billion-dollar company. Today, he is executive chairman of APR Energy in Jacksonville, Florida. Their specialty is in rapid deployment of temporary power plants in parts of the world that have been affected by natural disasters or energy shortages. And having built numerous successful companies listed on both the U.S. Stock Exchange and the London Stock Exchange, John has expanded his focus onto other goals, which includes his passion for championship-winning World Rally race cars. Part of his spectacular collection includes a Fiat 131 Abarth, Lancias, and many historically significant rally racing vehicles. John, I've told our listeners just a tiny, tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your business but, of course, your passion for automobiles. Well, I'm Irish, uh, born and raised in Ireland, came to America June 6, 1984, uh, landed in Los Angeles with $26, and uh, BS'd my way into a job with a rock and roll lighting company. And <laughs> cool. I did that for uh, several years till I discovered that um, 
if you uh, were with uh, Motley Crue or Kiss or Dave Roth or Van Halen, you go into an arena somewhere around the country, there wasn't enough electricity for the lighting system. So mm. typically somebody would show up with a generator. Yep. And typically it may work, it may not work. Customer expectation was quite low. Mm-hmm. So I started a company called Show Power in 87, supply power generation of the rock and roll business. That business was extremely successful, supplied power to everybody from Rolling Stones, U2, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Pink Floyd. All sorts of things, wow. numerous Olympic games around the world. I took it public on the American Stock Exchange in uh, 1998, mm-hmm. subsequently sold it to General Electric in 2000, and uh, started a business with General Electric called GE Energy Rentals. Left that business after a year and a half. I was headhunted by a French company, started mm-hmm. a business for them, and in 2004, bought it from them. That turned into APR Energy, and APR Energy is a global supplier of uh, power generation we build very large power plants we build them very fast on a sort of a lego type of basis and uh, that's enabled me to uh, indulge my passion for uh, for uh, rally cars yes well listeners out there the land of opportunity coming to the united states with 26 bucks in your pocket and who'd have thought where you landed now absolutely spectacular story ah awesome and of course your success in business has led to enabling you to have some fun with your passion. So before I get into this first question, what got you interested in rally cars? Was that something you always loved? Ah, well, this is, uh, I grew up in Ireland in, uh, you know, the late 60s and 70s. And in Ireland, and certainly in the 1970s, we didn't have a lot going for us. We, it, was a, it was definitely a, a depressed economy. Uh, and it was you know, sort of a grim time in the history of Ireland in yeah. terms of it, a lot of trouble in Northern Ireland. And, but we did have, Thin Lizzy, mm-hmm. we did have Rory Gallagher, and yeah. we did have uh, Billy Coleman. And Billy Coleman was a rally driver and also a farmer, and he was in Mill Street, which is about 15 minutes from where, uh, 15 miles rather, from where I grew up. And he was a rally legend, won the Circuit of Ireland numerous times. And in 1974, himself and his brother and a friend of theirs prepped a Mark I Ford Escort and took it on a single axle trailer, open trailer, mind you, towed by a uh, a station wagon, off they went to England and uh, campaigned the uh, RAC championship in 1974. Mm. And real David and Goliath stuff, Billy Coleman won the RAC championship in 1974 against all of the factory teams supported by real money and factories. So a real David and Goliath story. So Billy, when we were growing up, was a big hero to us. He was a rally driver. He was local and... I saw him at the Circuit of Ireland in 1978. So I was there with my father and my brother, and I was 15 years old. And we're uh, we're out in this forest stage, and you hear this screaming car. And around a corner comes this this spaceship of a car. It was a Lancia Stratos. Mm. So it was Group Four Stratos, and he was driving it for the uh, checkered flag team, which was uh, an English team, uh, and uh, an English guy who ran it was also a a um, Lancia dealer in the UK. Mm-hmm. So Billy was driving this car around the corner in the air sideways, <laughs> screaming. And I'm telling you, it was such it was such a spaceship looking car yeah. in 1974, especially in Ireland. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I personally think it's Marcino Gandini's greatest achievement. People would say the Mura. People would say the uh, you know the P400, the the first Countach. I got to tell you, the Stratus is just an incredible automobile. Yeah, yeah, you know. What comes to mind when you talk about a country that's going through some challenges and then this championship driver comes along that gives everybody some hope is, of course, the late, great Ayrton Senna from oh. Brazil. 
another one of those stories. But the story you just told, absolutely spectacular story. I mean, it is incredible. And that car you're talking about, yeah, is very, very, very cool. And I can imagine you being a young lad seeing that thing come flying by, obviously made a massive impression. So very cool. We're going to learn a lot more about you and your cars as we move along. But first, I like to ask my guests for a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been successful in your life. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah, I know you love to drive, John, so take the wheel. Well, look, uh, anybody who uh, who's around me, uh, I got two uh, two things I, I believe very strongly in, and the first is do what you say you will do. Mm. That's it's pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward. You think do so? What, <laughs> do what you say you'll do, and sometimes to do what you say you'll do, you got to put your hand in your pocket. But if you do what you say you'll do, it goes a long way to success. Yeah, and. The part I left out at the beginning of the story is I said I came to America with $26 in 1984, but Mm -hmm. the part I I left out was I have no education. I don't have a college degree. I was held back twice in high school and junior high, and I was considered to be, you know, slow and not very bright. I think they call it ADHD now, and Mm -hmm. I think they probably call it dyslexia, but growing up in Ireland, I was considered not to be bright, and I was told I'd never amount to anything. Mm. So... I came to America, and the great thing about America is if you do what you say you'll do and you apply yourself, you can be successful. So that's why that quote's very important to me is do what you say you'll do. And the other one that I, I tell and I believe works really, really well, be forthright, but be not to be arrogant, mm, right? Yes. So, so step up, but don't be arrogant. Yeah. I think if you want to be forthright, you can, but arrogance doesn't work. And if you're forthright – and you make a mistake, people will forgive that and give you a second chance. Yes. But if you're arrogant, you'll never get a second chance. Uh, no, usually not. But, you know, I, thanks for sharing that incredible story. More information about you that just is so awesome and what makes you such a great person. But I'm thinking of the, the career you chose when you first came over here. You're working in rock and roll industry. Talk about a wild and crazy industry. Wild and crazy people, of course, and sometimes good people, sometimes not so good people. But they have to have power to put on the show. So when you think about what where you ended up, it's all about doing what you say you're going to do is you're going to provide that power so things can work. And of course, your company's going around the world helping companies that are going through tragedy so they've got power so their hospitals can work, they can help their people and all the things are involved. Definitely, you're a guy who does what he says he's going to do. I love it. Could you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? And I think you already alluded to this when you were a young lad, when you were watching those uh, rally cars come flying through the air. But is there a pivotal moment you can remember when you look back that you realize that, uh oh, I'm a car guy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly. So, look, I was growing up in Ireland and. if somebody got a new car, it was typically a used car, right? I mean, mm-hmm. again, it wasn't it wasn't a vibrant economy back then, and everything I believe comes in 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 in, in full full circle. Mm-hmm. So, I found a picture not too long ago of my mother and my my brother and myself, and we were standing in front of uh, a uh, Ford uh, Cortina. Oh, nice! Uh, so this was my my father's car, Ford Cortina, and. It suddenly dawned on me. This was a black Cortina. It was a four-door. And it suddenly dawned on me that um, I thought this was a pretty cool car. And I remember the day my father bought this car. Mm -hmm. And he bought a used car. And it wasn't a new car. And he probably bought it in 1969 or 1970. 
and it was probably four or five years. No, it wouldn't have been four. It would have been in 67. So he probably bought it in 70. It was probably three years old when he bought it. Yeah. And I remember, I remember the man coming home with this car. It was black. And it had it had an oxblood vinyl interior in it. Ooh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was kind of cool, kind of edgy. And I remember being in the back seat and he'd taken us for a drive. And it was kind of an autumn day. And it was in the evening because he'd come home from work and picked up the car. And the pride he had in having this car and the smile on his face, mm. my mother sitting beside him, my brother and myself in the back, the windows were rolled down and we're going for a drive at sort of seven o'clock in the evening and dusk was coming down. And he was just so absolutely proud of, you know, being able to get this car. Yeah. And to bring that full circle, about eight, eight nine months ago, I bought a 1967 uh, Lotus Cortina. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Now, my father had the regular Cortina. It was an L. It wasn't even the gear, the GL. It was an L, uh-huh. 1.6 liter L. So I found a um, a Lotus Cortina, which is a two-door Mark Mark II Lotus Cortina yeah. and uh, kind of a Jim Clark car. So we, we right. found that on uh, Craigslist in Jacksonville, of all places. Oh, <laughs> convenient. That was very cool. So we bought this car, and uh, that sort of brought back full memories to me because I was looking at the picture of my, you know, my mother – and my brother, myself, and this car that my dad had bought, and uh, wow. it sort of, you know, brought brought things back to full circle. And I was out in my shop in Jacksonville here not too long ago, and there's all sorts of cars here. And uh, somebody was here and says, somebody who did, wasn't really a car person, they were sort of coming by, looking at all these cars, and they sort of say, they always say this, what's your favorite car? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's Ferraris, and there's rally cars, and there's Porsches, and there's all these things there. And somebody, and I said, that car over there. The Cortina, it's kind of a, yeah. It's kind of a little boxy car. And I said, well, why that? And I said, because my father had one. Yeah, you know, you took us back there. I, I think all the listeners, including myself, are sitting here going back in time with you there. It really was a wonderful story. And my father, when I was quite young, four or five years old, bought an MGTC. And yeah. I was kind of reliving your experience and mine, you know, and I've always thought I'd like to have another one of those. I drove one about five, six years ago, and then I kind of went, hmm, maybe not. But <laughs> they sure are beautiful cars to look at. But yeah, you know, Jimmy Clark came to mind when you're talking about that Cortina, one of the first cars that he raced way back when. So wonderful story. I love it. Well, John, I would love to travel down some of the roads you've driven and ask you to share a huge challenge or a huge failure that you faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this is how did you overcome it and how how did it help you go forward? What did you learn from it? Well, listen, here's here's a funny story. Not a funny story, but it's a um, – have you ever done something and you knew what you were doing was a mistake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had – uh, and this gets back to this gets back to something that that I don't like, uh, and I don't like it about myself sometimes because we can all be arrogant, right? Mm, yeah. And I think arrogance is is is, is not a very uh, it's 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 not a good quality, and we can always get we can always find ourselves to be arrogant. So years and years ago, I had my company called Show Power, and we supplied power to the Rolling Stones, and we did U two and all these wonderful people. And there was a tour coming to America, and it was Pink Floyd. Mm. It was the Division Bell tour, so Pink Floyd's Floyd's coming to America. Cool. Now, now I'm the biggest company in the world doing what I do. I supply power to these rock shows. I'm an American company. I had a small competitor in the UK, and the production manager or the production director was was in England, and I was talking to him on the phone about what was happening. 
and what the tour was going to be and we're, we're pricing it out. And he said, well, you know, need to keep you honest. We're having this English company quote on it as well. Mm-hmm. And I got a bit arrogant with myself and I said, well, you know, they're English. They've never been to America. There's different electrical rules and regulations over here, different types of equipment. And uh, that's not going to happen. And in the back of my head, I said to myself, I should really get on a plane. I was living in Los Angeles. I should really get on a plane and I should fly to London and I should sit down and cut this deal with the uh, with the production manager and be done with it. But the arrogance got ahead of me and I was thinking to myself, look, they're not going to come over here. It's not going to happen. And I didn't do that. I didn't go. And l- long story short, I didn't get the tour. Uh, yeah, I was afraid that's where we were going here. And I, I was gutted about the whole thing. Yeah. And, and, I, and I didn't take I didn't take it well. I didn't take it well. I wasn't a. I wasn't a. Um, I wasn't a good sport about it. I didn't lose well. Mm. And I. Um, anyway, there's a, there's a redemption at the back end of the story. But the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, you got to find redemption. There's a bit of redemption in the back end of the story. And uh, long story short, uh, the, the Pink Floyd was in Mexico City, and the the company that had done the job, who got the job, were having problems with their machines, and I happened to have equipment in mexico city so i told my guys to take care of it and sort it out mm-hmm. so the redemption was even though i now if that problem had happened six weeks beforehand i'd have probably not done the right thing yeah. but i was able to work through it and i did the right thing so yeah ultimately that's the redemption there and ultimately a couple of years down the road i actually bought that company but the point about it was arrogance and uh, taking stuff for granted uh, in business is a bad combination. So yeah. I learned a lesson early on and I, you know, I should have gone on an airplane. I shouldn't have been arrogant and I should have done this. And I didn't now in the grand scheme of things, it's a Pink Floyd tour and it wasn't, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you're not saving lives, but it, it sort of reinforced to me the importance of, uh, of humility and the importance of, of, you know, respecting your customer and the importance of, again, not taking something for granted because when you take something for granted, you're not you focused correctly and you're not being humble and ultimately that will leave, lead to failure. Well, wonderful takeaways from, from this story and thanks for sharing a really personal story but a really wonderful life lesson that I'm sure and I can tell by what you just shared with us and what you shared with us earlier that you brought that forward and you remember that. That's a painful pain point that always comes back is – and listen, if I if I turn on classic radio and I hear Pink Floyd, it's the I'm oh back, yeah, I'm back exactly where I was. I'm at my desk. I'm on the phone, and I am um, not doing you know. So I I, I live it every time I hear Pink Floyd. So oh, I'm, that's okay. Well, okay. it's probably okay, but you know, it's a bad thing to relate to Pink Floyd. What a great band! But uh, wonderful story. Really appreciate you sharing that with us. Okay, let's shift gears here, John, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment it's a time when those headlights come on and those rally lights that are all covering the front of one of those great cars you have and kind of light the way for a new direction a new idea you had and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success so i was in um i just started my company show power and i was in uh melbourne australia with michael jackson and uh had a few some 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 small bits of equipment, some cable and some distribution and some transformers. And the generators were provided by a local company. And long story short, throughout the rehearsals and into the first show, all these four or five generators in various stages of disrepair all broke. Mm. And I was uh, holding it together with uh, you know uh, with uh, with bailing wire <laughs> and 
gaffer tape and chewing gum. And <laughs> I kind of knew what, you were going to say that. Yeah, it's you know, kind of in the Mag- MacGyver moment. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we get through the show. And literally, actually, on the last song, we threw a rod to the side of the machine. One of the machines had a rod out the side of it. Oh gosh! And uh, I mean, it was what. And uh, I mean, the reason all this for for any of the listeners that are thinking, why did all these machines have such a hard time? The reason was it was it was uh, Australia's fifty cycles, and the machinery runs at fifteen hundred RPM. Okay. We were running it at uh, 60 cycles, so we turned these machines up from 1,500 RPM to 1,800 RPM and running them at 60 cycles. So the fatigue on the machines, and they were never designed for that. So long story short, you treat something badly, it'll treat you badly. So the machines all broke. So you had the turbo boost turned up a little too high. All I've done that exactly. We, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good story about Alancia. So anyway, we had a bit too much boost going on. So yep. After the first show, uh, I got a call to go to Michael's dressing room. So I went to the Michael's dressing room, and there was two people there. There was uh, the production director called uh, Benny Collins and Michael's manager, a fellow by the name of uh, Frank DeLeo. Mm. And they said, look – and Michael was there and said, look, Michael's very concerned about this tour that's coming up in Europe. And this is this is uh, November of 1988 and uh, – 1987, actually, November of 87. I was 24 years old. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, you're a young guy. And I, I got Michael Jackson, Benny Collins, and uh, Frank DeLeo. And Frank's saying, look, Michael's very concerned about the tour in Europe this summer. It's sold out five months. It's the summer of 1988. And the tour is sold out. We're doing seven shows in Wembley Stadium, which holds like 70,000 people. We're doing, you know, we're going to play to half a million people in England. And he's really concerned about this power. And, you know, look, you seem to be the, the wizard about this. What do you think? So I said, look, let's do this. I said, I'll build these machines and I'll get a 20-foot container and I'll put two engines in a box and there'll be two boxes, so a total of four engines. They'll all run in parallel, so a multiple redundant system. So if one machine breaks, the other ones will take over, so it'll it'll work fine. And uh, they said, okay, good. And uh, can you get that together? And I said, I can, but I need $100,000. Oh. So, <laughs> so uh, my first seed money for my first business came from Michael Jackson. Wow. Yeah, so... <laughs> We, we charged Michael $20,300 per week for the power, mm-hmm. and we paid back $5,000 a week for the $100,000 loan. So I got $15,300 for 20 weeks and paid back, obviously, the uh, the 5000 which would have equated to the 20300 So that was the sort of aha moment again, but it was one of those lessons in life. If you don't ask, you won't get. Yes. I I'd sort of proven out to 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 Frank DeLeo and certainly Benny Collins uh, what I could do, and they took a gamble on me. So the Michael Jackson tour took a gamble on some 24-year-old Irish guy who uh, <laughs> didn't have much of an education, and uh, I built a business around it. Wow. Jeez, another incredible story. So now when you listen to a Michael Jackson song, do you get a big smile on your face? You know what? Michael was – you know, look, I had I had the interaction with Michael, and I look, I thought Michael was a good guy. Uh, I, I, I think Michael was a good guy. I think he was extremely talented. I think he uh, he he had a difficult time. I mean, look, I don't know about you, but if you were, if I, you, we were super famous and super wealthy since we were sort of five years old, mm-hmm. I kind of don't know how I'd be. I'd be a little, you know. You'd be different, definitely. I yeah. know I would be different. Right. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah. Well, great story. Awesome. I love that. Wonderful. Both those stories are absolutely spectacular. Let's talk a little bit about a proudest business or career moment. I would assume you've had many. You've had a lot of successes, but is there one in particular that really stands out for you? Well, there's. I'll tell you one from my rock and roll days, and then I'll tell you one from uh, what we currently do. Okay. The rock and roll one was uh, 1987. 
before I went to do Michael Jackson, I was in uh, Berlin with David Bowie. Nice. And we were playing an outdoor show in front of the Reichstag, and the Reichstag was in front of the wall. Mm-hmm. So the stage is no more than a couple of hundred feet from the wall. And uh, when David came in uh, for sound check at about four o'clock in the afternoon, he told the sound company to turn half of the PA, half the speakers around into East Berlin. <laughs> so David Bowie had recorded, uh, did, did quite a lot of recording in Berlin, and uh, he recorded a very, very famous song called Heroes. Mm-hmm. And it's about lovers and the wall. And, and uh, so in the middle of the show, he starts singing Heroes. And it's just a very iconic song. And he puts his hands out to sort of quiet the people in West Berlin. And then what we heard was the singing coming from East Berlin of the song. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And it was one of the most it was one of the most humbling and one of the most inspiring things I've ever witnessed. We're on the other side of the wall. Yeah. We're, we're in freedom. We're in West Berlin. These people are in East Berlin under oppression, and David Bowie is bringing the two together. Oh, my and gosh. It was, it was um, you know, a lot of the listeners who are older would, who would understand the Cold War would have an appreciation of it. But I got to tell you, that was life-changing for me, and it was just how the power of music could transcend cultures, bring East and West together. And it was it was absolutely a, a, a seminal moment in my life. Oh, my gosh. Well, we could sure use some more of that these days with things the way they are in the world. But what a story. Oh, wow. And tell me, I know you have another story here about what you guys are doing today, because I know that you're doing some pretty great things to help people around the world that are in distress. We build power plants and we build them around the world in different countries and with their, where they've got a hydro problem that they, their, their electricity comes from hydroelectric and with the La Nina, El Nino, the, the, the water levels are low mm-hmm. or, or they've had, uh, you know, hurricanes or in the case of Japan, they had a, uh, an earthquake and then a tsunami. We built a big power plant over there. Uh, 90 days after the, uh, the earthquake, uh, we built a power plant in just outside Tokyo, a place called Fukushima. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that was the first world and that was a job we did in, uh, that was a job we did in, in, in Japan. And we've done jobs in, you know, all over Africa. And, uh, but I think, I think one of the, one of the most inspiring things happened was during the Arab Spring, uh, Gaddafi was overthrown in Libya. Mm-hmm. And it was this whole air of can do and this whole air of things are going to change. So we signed a contract and we built several power plants in, in Libya. Mm-hmm. And we, we built this power plant way in about 600 kilometers into the desert. And we, we were there working. We built the power plant and I remember a local family came to the gate of the power plant and they wanted to thank us for helping bring them electricity. And they wrote, us, they wrote me a nice card. It's sitting in my office and it's just, you know, we want to thank America for helping us. Wow. <laughs> wow. I think that's, that's one of my proud things. Another thing I'm extremely proud of is we do social programs where we build power plants around the world. We'll, we'll get involved in schools and medical clinics. And we built a power plant in Sena, not Sena, in Aden in Yemen. It's the south. It's the port city in, in Yemen, a place called Aden. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a difficult zip code right now. Yes. But four or five years ago, we, had a power, we built a power plant there, and we wanted to do a social program. So we talked to the local, uh, local community, and we asked them what they wanted. And they said they wanted their daughters to get some uh, computer literacy. So we thought this was interesting. So we had to do a deal with the local imam, and uh, because obviously 
look, uh, Yemen is not a is not, not on the cutting edge of women's education. No. No. So, so we cut a deal with the local imam, who was actually he, he was a nice man. He was he was more forward thinking, and uh, as long as we provided sewing education and taught these girls how to how to sew, he'd let us teach them how to use computers. Okay. So we built so we built a computer lab, and we put in twenty six computers, and left them computer instruction, and had uh, had an uncensored internet connection, and we we taught twenty to uh, forty girls how to be computer literate. Wow, and somewhere. I'd like to think that there's a uh, a group of girls who are who are now probably you know older, uh, who grew up and um, will have been taught how to use computers and computer literacy, and will have a different perspective on America yeah. and have a different perspective because this American company taught them how to use computers. Yeah. So maybe they will teach their children. I don't know. But you'd like to think something better will happen in the world. So maybe a little bit of computer education in uh, in Aden in uh, in Yemen will help. Yeah, and a little care. Wonderful stories. Uh, thank you for that, John. Great stories. Well, let's have a little more fun and talk about your first really special car. And I want to emphasize first because you got a lot of pretty darn cool cars. But what was that first one that you got <laughs> that was pretty special, really special to you? And maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle. Well, one of the first cars I got when I came to America was uh, a Fiat X19. So, so listen, a little Fiat X19, you know, Pinafrina, Pinafrina not Pinafrina, actually, Bar- Bertone, Bertone, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bertone, and a uh, little four-cylinder, 1.6 liter. I had the 1.6 liter rod and the 1.3, and I bought it used. And, um, you know, that was a fun little car. I was, I've got a picture of myself somewhere with a car in, like, 1985. Yeah. It's 1985. I'm uh, 22, 23 years old, and I got a little Fiat X19. I'm living in Los Angeles, California, and that was a uh, that was a pretty that was a pretty cool car. But the sort of ultimate California car that I had would be so you're in the rock and roll business. Yeah. it's the eight. It's the eight. The 80s, baby. <laughs> okay, so what's the definitive the definitive rock and roll car, Los Angeles, California, in the 80s? It was a De Tomasa Pantera. Oh, okay. I was going to say a Testarossa, but uh... that would be good. But that that would be real money, and I didn't have real money. I had the twenty grand to buy a used Pantera. There you go. So I had a Pantera and uh, with a three fifty one Cleveland, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of car for the money, and uh, so that that was one of my uh, one of my first cars. So I went from a Fiat X one nine with a mid engine. A four cylinder to a, a, a De Tomasa Pantera, which is a, obviously a mid engine, big Ford uh, 351 uh, Cleveland V8. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great combination of the Italian style, American power. And I've got a, uh, one of my sponsors here on Cars, yes, CK Financial. Chris Kimball, who's been a guest here on the show, is a Pantera guy. Shout out to Chris, and he's got a big smile on his face, I'm sure. He's listened to every one of my, my shows, including this one, number 515. So, Cool cars, cool cars. Well, you mentioned cars you've had. Let's talk about the one that got away that you wish you had back in your garage. Seller's remorse. Is there one car? Easy, 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 easy. So I was, uh, I bought a Ferrari 575 six speed. Okay, cool. I didn't want the flappy paddle, and maybe that was influenced by uh, Clarkson on Top Gear, but I didn't want the <laughs> flappy paddle. I wanted a five-speed, right? And mm-hmm. it's gated, and mm-hmm. it's just cool, right? So so I bought a 575 five-speed, and six-speed, rather. So I bought the 575 six-speed, and I drove it for a couple of years, and it was a fantastic car. It is just 
just a perfect car. It's the modern day. It's an evolution, obviously, of the 550. Mm -hmm. It's the modern day, you know, uh, Daytona. It makes the right noises. It's got the right smells. It's a fantastic car. And this one I had was the sort of the uh, I don't know the correct color. Uh, uh, so Ferrari aficionados on the on the uh, on listening in, forgive me, but it's the uh, it's the blue gray color. So oh. it's a gorgeous car. Okay, yeah, gorgeous car. Uh, sort of blue gray, silvery that mm-hmm. kind of that kind of color. It's a fabulous car. Yeah. So then then the the, the five nine nine comes out. 600 plus horsepower just absolutely completely over top piles of horsepower piles of torque so i said you know what i bought a 599 and i pushed i pushed the 575 out the door quite cheap i sold it yep and you know the 599 is a phenomenal piece of automotive engineering just absolutely brute force and ignorance flappy paddles and all just a lot of power does everything does everything right but i missed the interaction of the uh, of the six speed so long story short, very sad I sold the six-speed. Yeah. So I just recently sold the 599, and I bought another 575 six-speed. <laughs> you went back. <laughs> I went back, and believe me, I sold the 599 for a lot less than I paid for it, and I bought the 575 for twice what I sold it for. Oh, Not yeah. That's what I sold it for. But listen, I'm happy. It's a great car, and uh, I, I, I enjoy it, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I got it back. So that was one of the cars I was sort of sorry I let go. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, let's talk about what's going on right now. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about these rally cars because that's what really connected me with you and what you're doing. I saw a great video of you about your cars, but can you tell our listeners a little more about the rally cars you have? And I know in our pre-show chat, we were talking about you getting out there and driving some of them. So what's happening there? So I started off by, we talked earlier in the show about seeing Billy Coleman and in 1978 in the Checker flag Stratos. So I wanted a Stratos. So yeah. I went out and I found the best Stratos I could get. Now, for anybody who's a who's a rally fan, the ultimate group four Stratos would be the Alitalia car. That's sort of the iconic racing Stratos. And the works teams, the the the, the teams that the factory had were all Alitalia uh, liveried cars yes and uh are just iconic and you, you you can't get your hands on one of those they're in you know very famous museums you got to go beat up my friend Giorgio sean not going to happen <laughs> yeah you, you, you gotta go you know twist uh, count rossi's arm not going to happen yeah so you know you can't get your hands on so i bought a privateer car i bought a car that was uh campaigned by a doctor it did the uh 1976 uh, Monte Carlo rally and I bought it great provenance we know the full history of the car all the way back to uh, to 1975 when it was built got the full build sheets got everything on the car so that car is absolutely perfect nice uh, privateer car I, I love it so then I buy that and then you start to go hmm and uh, as a car guy, you, you, you're chasing it and you're researching and you're saying, Lazio. And then you start to realize you knew it, but you didn't kind of know it. And you did a bit of research and you realized that Lancia and Fiat dominated rallying Group 4, Group B, and then Group A rallying from 1969, 1970, all the way to 1992. Yeah, long time. Right. So they started off with the, uh, with the Fulvia. And they won the world championship in '72. I have a I have a Fulvia. In fact, uh, on the uh, the little video we made, which is called "Road to Amelia," 
It's on YouTube. It's called Road to Amelia. I got a bunch of grief from people because I pronounced it Fulvia. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, unless I'm Irish, so you know what? I don't take myself too seriously. There so. you go. Good for you. <laughs> so I have one of those, and uh, that was a privateer car. Yeah. And so you go from that, you go to the Stratos. And then you go, in terms of Lancia, then you go from Stratos to the Group B monster, the O37. We have a Martini O37. And then you go from the O37 to the S4, which is the Group B monster Mm -hmm. that killed Group B and actually had Group B outlawed, you know, too fast to drive. And uh, Henry Tovlion died and his co-driver died in uh, in May of 1986 uh, in a rally. Anyway, so that was the end of Group B. So we have, uh, they built 28 of those cars. We have a factory uh, Martini car. Uh, We have one of those. We showed it at Amelia Island this year, and we were very fortunate to win uh, Best in in Class. Congratulations. Listen, I I was blown away. I I go to car shows, and uh, I'm the guy who's happy to be there. I don't expect to win. I don't stress about it, because at the end of the day, from where I'm from, I'm just really happy to be there. Right. So we won, and we we, we, we won against some serious competition, and uh, I was extremely proud to win, and uh, I thought that was fantastic. So that car is a very serious car. And then I've got the world championship winning um, uh, Lancia Delta Integrale, which won the world championship in 1988, driven by Mickey Bastion. So the car, so it won three out of the 12 rounds, so it's the car that won the world championship for Lancia and Mickey Bastion. So that's that's five Lancias. (laughs) The middle of the whole thing there's this gap from 1976 to 1983. So in 76, it finishes with the Stratos. In 83, it picks up with the O37. So what happened in that six-year period? Well, in that six-year period, Fiat came along, who owns Lancia, and said, oh, you know, race on Sunday, sell on Monday, right? right? So they wanted to be in the rally business, and so they put forth, their Econobox, which was the Fiat 131. We called it the Brava in America. It was called the Mirafiori in, U- in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, it's an Econobox and it was a four cylinder car, two liter four cylinder car. And they made it in two doors and four doors, which was very typical of Europe. A lot of the Econoboxes, be it the Cortina, be it the Escort, be it the, uh, the Fiat Mirafiori 131. That's what they did. So they took the 131 and they gave it to a Barth. And they, you know, welded a few gussets on and made it a bit <laughs> more faster. And that won the uh, World Rally Championship driven by Walter Roll and some just huge, huge, huge race guys in, in uh, 78, 79 and 80. Mm. And uh, so it did phenomenal work, you know, won, won lots of stuff in 70, 70, uh, 78, 79 and 80. So I needed that car to fill out the collection, right? So... We, we go, so I needed one of those. So I started calling my contacts in Italy, and they said, John, you want an Alitalia car? So I said, of course I want an Alitalia car. And the prices were you know, a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, and it was difficult to get the right provenance. It was difficult to know, really, did the car win this, did it not win this? Is it a real car? Is it a fakey-do? What's mm. the story? Then I found, uh, I found on the internet a Fiat 131 in a museum in Belgium. And the price seemed right. So I got onto the fellow on the phone, and it turns out this car was originally, it was a Fiat Alitalia car, and it was a works rally car, and it campaigned in America in 1979 and 1980. Nice. Specifically in Michigan. And it was on the cover of Road and Track of the May issue of 1980. Oh, wow. Cool. 
So I bought the car. <laughs> yeah, sounds like the right one. That's correct. Listen, it's got American history. It's rally. It's Natalia car. It's got all the. So I sent uh, I sent to my contact uh, who does does some stuff for me and will go verify VIN numbers and go make sure everything's correct. So I asked him Arnold to go check the car out. So he went and checked the car out and he gave me a great report. And I says, "Did you start it?" And he says, "No, the guy wouldn't start the car." Mm. And then he says, did you, I said, obviously, if you didn't start it, you didn't drive it. And he says, that's correct. So I said, look, we're probably buying a car with a blown motor. Mm-hmm. But sure, the price was right. And I came back to America and lo and behold, it's got a blown motor. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> so that's all right. So I sent it up to my friends at Savannah Engine Works in Savannah, Georgia. And good, good, great, great race car engine shop. So they're rebuilding the motor for me. And then I was talking to my friends at, uh, at the Concourse of America. And which is in Michigan, mm-hmm. and they're doing a rally class this year. So, oh, perfect! Exactly. So we're taking the car back to Michigan. <laughs> going back home. We're going back home. So we're finishing the restoration, and it's going back to Michigan. So that's going to be fantastic. And we're going to take we're going to take the five Lancias as well. So we're going to have five Lancia rally cars, and we're going to have the the Fiat there. So we're taking six rally cars to uh, Concours of America, which is the uh, last weekend of July. And very excited to be involved in that. And nice. uh, so that's we get to show off the rally cars, and they're also doing a Lancia class. So there's going to be some Lancias there, 110 years of Lancia and rallies. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. But to sort of fill the story out a bit more, <clears throat> <laughs> obviously Instagram is is quite popular, and uh, so we we've got a lot of the pictures of the cars up on Instagram. And this is a uh, I'm Irish, so I tell stories. So, so bear. bear <laughs> Bear with me for this one. I'm having fun. So last January, not this January, but the January before, my mom passed away in Ireland. Mm, sorry. And she was, listen, she, she was 93 years old. Wow. And she was sharp to the end. So it was as good as, the, as these things can get, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So my family would go over every year to see my mom and my brother. And it was sort of a family reunion. We'd always go every year around her birthday to, to see my mom in, in the summer. And we'd always go to Ireland. So I was getting on the plane in Cork Airport, and we're coming back to America. I was getting on the plane, and I sort of on the steps of the plane, and I sort of looked back with my wife. And I said, you know, Suzanne, she says, what? And I said, this is probably it for me in Ireland. Mm. And I was sort of sad, right? Because my connection with Ireland had been my mother. Of course, yeah. I never did any business there, and I didn't do anything, but that was the connection. I go back for a couple of weeks every year, and and that was it, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And... I never made the connection or I never squared the circle of me and Ireland and rally cars and Billy Coleman, right? I didn't. Mm. I kind of knew it, but I never, you know, I could have gone to see Billy. He's down the street. I never did. So that's all fine. So I sort of said to the wife, I said, look, I said, this is probably it for me in Ireland. She sort of was a bit sad. And she says, John, you never know. So anyway, fast forward to uh, November of last year. And I get this email, and I get this wonderful letter uh, from a gentleman called Art McCormick, and he works with uh, Motorsport Ireland. Mm-hmm. Motorsport Ireland is the FIA-sanctioned governing body for all motorsports in Ireland. Okay. And uh, they do circuit, they do rallying, they're the, they're the governing body for motorsports in Ireland. And they're also part of the Royal Irish Motor Club, and been there for a very long time. And Art says to me in this letter, which is very well written, and he's telling me about um, Team Ireland. And Team Ireland is supporting young drivers. Three rally drivers, young rally drivers, and three circuit drivers, be it the Ford of Ford, Formula drivers. Mm-hmm. And 
the best Formula driver gets the Sexton Award and the best Rally driver gets the Billy Coleman Award. <laughs> okay. So what we will what what Team Ireland then does is it supports those three drive those six drivers and helps them with nutrition. Uh, helps them with physical fitness, uh, reaction, media training, psychology, just to helps them prepare them and round them out so they can go forth and compete, uh, you know, regionally in Ireland, obviously, and internationally, specifically in England. Mm -hmm. So I said, that's a great program. I says, you know, that's fantastic. And a lot of great Irish drivers. And sometimes the difference between a, a successful driver and a not a successful driver is not necessarily talent. Yes. Yep. Uh, it's everything that goes with it. Right. Yeah. And it's not breaking under pressure. It's the psychology. It's the fitness. It's the nutrition. It's the media training. It's everything. So mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is great. I said, this is fantastic. He says, yeah, well, you know, Motorsport Ireland is behind it. And I says, well, what can I do for you? He says, John, look, you're an American. We're looking to raise a few. We're looking to raise a few dollars, and we'd like you to be involved. So, long story short, I'm the uh, the the main sponsor for for uh, for Team Ireland, and I'm uh, I'm committed to helping them out for the next five years, a writing checks myself and raising money for them. Mm -hmm. And I was over for the launch of it in February, and we got a bunch of great drivers and uh, we're, we're getting success already on uh, the circuit of Ireland and last weekend in the Cardiff, the, the rally of uh, the Welsh rally and the guys are doing great and it's a, it's a fantastic achievement. So I'm more involved in Ireland now than I ever was. <laughs> Isn't that funny how things come back full circle? Is there a, a website that our listeners can go to, to learn more about this team and, and what you're doing? If you just take a look at uh, if you take a look at Motorsports Ireland, just Google Motorsports Ireland, and then there's links to uh, Team Ireland. And uh, we're having a bit of difficulty at the website at the moment for some reason. We can't get it from America. It's uh, TeamIreland.com, okay. not TeamIreland.com, TeamIreland.ie. But that's a bit of a problem. But if you look at Motorsports, uh, you know, uh, Motorsport Ireland. Um, you can certainly find it from there, but it's young drivers and it's just great. And, uh, yeah. through, through that, I've met Craig Brian and Craig Brian is, he's a, he's older, but he was, he was a winner of the, of the, uh, Billy Coleman award. And Craig Brian, uh, is, you know, multiple winners of the circuit of Ireland. And he won it again this, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He won the circuit of Ireland nice. and he, he's driving in world rally champ. He's WRC for uh, Citroen. Mm, okay. So he's campaigning at the very sharp end of the stick in, uh, in World Rally with uh, Citroen. So we're actually, I was just talking to, uh, emailing him back and forth uh, the last couple of days about putting something together for the Donegal Rally, which is the longest stage rally in Ireland. So hopefully uh, we'll put something together with Craig. Craig was over and uh, we're, we're hopefully going to get Craig behind the wheel of uh, some of the Group B cars because so, he, he likes the vintage, right? So yeah. 19... 1986 car to Craig, who's 26, would be vintage, right? <laughs> uh, it was before he was born. But so we've got young drivers and we've got older drivers. And it, it's just uh, it's great to be involved in that community again. Yes. Well, again, I was never really involved in other than the spectator when I was a young fella. But to be involved in that, I think, is, 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 is it makes me immensely proud. We're helping young people. So it's education. Yeah. And uh, we're involved. And in, when I say we, it's my wife and myself through our family foundation are involved in giving a bit back to where we're from where I'm from, certainly, Perfect. and it's motorsports, it's education, it's competition, it's it's fantastic. So, again, moving the story forward, so the wife turns to me one day, and she says, John, well, you got these great rally cars. 
I says, I said, yeah. And she goes, uh, do you know how to drive them? I said, well, of course I know how to drive them. In fact, you know, she's driven them, but we don't know how to drive them. Race you know them, yeah. Race them. So she signed me up for the O'Neill Rally School in New Hampshire. So we're doing that in the month of uh, in August. Cool. We're going we're gonna to go up there, and she tells she's she's my wife's rather competitive, so she says she's going to kick my butt. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to see who comes out the back end of it. So uh, I, I, I I will expect a report at the end of August. <laughs> we'll get a report at the end of August. So it's probably going to be uh, you know uh, it's going to be probably Focus RSs or something like that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Right. So we'll we'll learn how to do that, and then maybe we'll come back and we'll take some Group B cars and we'll fling them around. Ah, wonderful. Great story. Thanks for sharing all that. Kudos to you and your your uh, wife and your foundation for supporting those drivers. Absolutely fantastic. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, John. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Wow, what a great question. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, listen, you, you sent me an idea what the questions were going to be, and I sort of glanced over it. And now that you asked the question, you, you think about it and you sort of say, what kind of car would you be? Yeah. Well, you'd, listen, you'd love to say you'd love to be a, uh, a Shelby, you know, GT350R. Mm-hmm. You'd love to say you'd be a, you'd be a, you know, a, a 427 Cobra. You'd love to say you'd be a, you know, a 56 Ferrari Testarossa. You'd love to say all of these things. Right. But you know what I am? I'm probably a, I'm probably a Lotus Cortina. Yeah, probably, <laughs> yeah I'm glad you. I'm glad you answered that the way you did because that's the way the question is designed. It's not so much what you want to be, but what you really are. Probably a Lotus Cortina, you know, getting yeah. on with this, right? Not the, <laughs> not the fastest in the world, but, you know, a lot of fun. And I'd, I'd say I'm a Lotus Cortina. I like it. Perfect answer, John. Love it. So up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle? both the exterior and the interior. It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. Okay, John, we are back and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Let's go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? If you're into old cars, be happy to get where you're going because it'll break down. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. That's absolutely true. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Well, 
look, I like to get up early, and I think up early is better than staying up late. Mm. So uh, I, I, I get up early, and uh, I like to take my time in the morning, and I think that sets my day off to be to be correct. I never rush in the morning. If I've got to get up for a 6 a.m., if i got a 6 a.m. flight, I'll get up at 3. So I take an hour, have my coffee, wake up, and not stress, and that sets me up right for my day. Brilliant. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you have really enjoyed? Right. Look, I tell you what, I look at I look at an enormous amount of websites every day and, you know, everything, all the usual stuff, the Jalopniks, the uh, the Petrolicious, the Drive mm-hmm. and, you know, all the various uh, other automotive blogs and, and forums and, and the like of that. But I tell you what I do enjoy. There's a couple of uh, there's a couple of uh, Facebook. Uh, there's a couple of Facebook how shall I say it? Groups uh-huh. that uh, that are, are fellas with uh, with cars, and uh, uh, there's a few friend of ours on them, and uh, they don't take themselves too seriously. And, and I enjoyed that. It's always good for a laugh, put a smile in your face. Uh, look, we're we live in a serious world, yes. And uh, there's a lot of things going on, and there's a lot of problems, and we got a lot of issues globally that that are going on. And I think taking yourself too seriously doesn't help. Mm. So I like people who don't take themselves too seriously and i like the collectors of cars the collector of the, the collectors of cars it's the guy who's got the the safari uh the safari 911 but he'll be talking to uh you know to the to the young fellow with the 240z right yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and that's that's a car guy and the car guy is not the guy who writes the check and buys a lamborghini and actually doesn't know if it's an eight, 10 or 12 cylinder engine Mm, yeah. So I, I think that that's sort of uh, that's sort of it. So some of the Facebook stuff I quite enjoy. I, I look at all of the all of the websites every morning. When I said I get up early in the morning, that's what I do. Yeah. I'm looking at yeah. them all. <laughs> There's a lot of them out there for sure. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read recently, or even audio book? Maybe you've listened to with all your traveling that you've really enjoyed that you think the Cars Yeah listeners should get into. Um. A book. I, I, you know who's. I, I like automotive books, and I've got a good library of them. I tell you who's got a great library is Bill Warner. Bill Warner has a phenomenal library of books at his house. Yes. Bill Warner mm-hmm. is the uh, the founder chairman of uh, an all round fantastic car guy. Founder chairman of um, of the Amelia Island Concourse d'Elegance. Yep. Um, a book I've read lately. I, I've been reading the history of uh, of Ducati. I oh. like Ducatis. So I've been reading the history of Ducati and, and that whole sort of saga, which is really, really interesting. There's a um, an Italian friend of mine, uh, Carlo, and he owns a company called Invest Industrial, which is a private equity fund based in London and in Italy. And he owned Ducati for a while. Mm, okay. And uh, so I got the book off of him. Oh Lord, I can't remember the title. If I can, if I can, uh, I'll find it and I'll get the. T- I'll shoot you an email okay. with the title. Awesome. So the history, du- history of Ducati, which is really phenomenal, and they're back. You know, they're back at the sharp end of MotoGP right now. So that's yeah. rather interesting. And it looks like uh, Lorenzo is about to swap from Yamaha across to Ducati, which is going to be really interesting, given the fact that uh, Rossi didn't have much success with uh, Ducati. So mm. anyway, that's how we, we digress into motorcycles. <laughs> well, that's okay. I, you know, Bill's been a guest here on Cars, yeah, and he told me about his library, and I've been fortunate enough to visit the Ducati Museum a couple times, and interesting in their museum when you look at their their history going back to they made razors and vacuums and yeah. all sorts of yeah. fun, funky stuff, you know, But uh, and I rode a Ducati Monster for a while, so I really enjoy those bikes. 
Well, I have. Uh, I still have an 851 Superbike that I originally bought way back in the day when they first came out. Cool. So I have, I have an 851 Superbike sitting in my shop, and that goes way back, and uh, we, I, I like that bike. Yeah. It, it, it means something to me. I bought it when I couldn't afford it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's when things do mean a lot. You really have to sacrifice. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources John's been so kind to share today at his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash John Campion. And there's a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books. We'll get uh, John to email me that book so we get the right title. I'll list it there with all the other past 514 guest books for quick, easy links to buy. All right, John, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy, especially for a guy who has a lot of cars. If you could have only one collector car, of course, I'll include collector race car, rally car in your garage. Money's no object. I'll buy you whatever car in the world. I'll twist some arms. I'll get people to... Let go of those prized possessions. What would that one vehicle be and why? Uh, well, that, that's pretty straightforward. I'd want a, an original uh, uh, Lancia Works Stratos, an Alitalia Stratos, that won, that won the uh, Monte Carlo Rally. Of course. I kind of thought you'd say that <laughs> after that talk. That's going to cost me a pretty penny. I better get to work here. But, uh, oh, wonderful cars. They are, they are just so beautiful. And I understand, uh, given all the history you shared with us, why you like that car. John, you have taken me on an awesome ride through the forest here, a rally ride, if you will, today. And I've really enjoyed your stories. What a treasure you are. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down that rally dirt road in that Lancia Stratus? Oh, well, listen, thank you very much. Look, I love cars. I like sharing cars. And I think they were, they were meant to be driven and they were meant to be shared. And, um, we open my shop a couple of times a year for various charities and we're proud to do it and we're proud to show our cars we're proud to drive our cars and i'm a product of uh, of america and i'm extremely proud that uh, i live in a country where we can own cars and, I, and i'm very proud to to be in a country where i was able to was able to become successful so no matter what we think and no matter what we see in the news and no matter what we read about we we live in a phenomenal country with phenomenal people Amen to that. Absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn a little bit more about you, a little bit more about your business? I know you mentioned that great video, but uh, there's other ways that people can uh, reach out or at least see what you're up to. Yeah, johnjcampion.com. His website, johnjcampion.com. There's okay. a wiki page. If, you, if you're really bored, just Google John Campion Cars, and you'll, there's all sorts of carry-on will come up, and you'll be, you'll be sufficiently bored for a while. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'll make sure, again, all of this is listed on John's personal carsyad.com show notes page. Everything will be there with links, and I encourage you to check out what he's up to. And uh, we'll look forward to getting a report on that uh, little uh, challenge you have with your wife coming up in August. I'm looking forward to hearing back from you. I'll follow up on that with you. Okay, I love it. Well, John, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your incredible experiences with me and the Cars Yacht listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks a lot. God bless. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!